right, I am ready. Me too. Or should I answer the question? Perfect. We are, we're live. All right, here we go. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Renee Bohr with my cycling buddy and fellow supporter of the North Lawndale College Prep, Tommy O'Donnell. Tommy, how the heck are you tonight? I'm doing great tonight. We, uh, we made it together again. We, we did make it together, and I'm really excited about tonight's podcast because we have a special guest, John Haran, and <laughs> I can't wait to start asking John questions. So he was the, oh, yeah. the inspiration that really got us both involved in supporting the Phoenix. Absolutely. So, uh, so yep. we have John to, to credit for that. So mm -hmm. I've made a big, a big impact on, on my life just in terms of things that I'm really passionate about now and getting focused yeah. on, which is education. So, there you go. Uh, you never know what where life's paths will take you, but uh, this has certainly been a good one from where, yeah. uh, from where I got started when, when I met John, you know, probably it's been five, six years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course you introduced me to him and yeah, that and then, same... you, and then you got pulled into the John I... Haran, you know, the, the, <laughs> 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 all right yeah okay Perfect. all right so with so with that yeah john are you ready for uh we're gonna uh, give you the question that was posed by one of our students and then give you some time to think about that and then we're going to ask you some questions about about yourself great perfect You're ready. all right okay so the question for today is how do you make sure you're properly prepared for the worst when there are multiple outcomes? And how many backup plans should you have so that you're not stuck at rock bottom? And that was asked by Tamara Wallace. So okay. great question. Uh, yeah, it is a terrific question and you're never prepared for the worst. Uh, <laughs> my, my time at NLCP, we've seen the best and the worst. And yeah. I suppose the way I think about it is this. Uh, there's a great baseball player by the name of Tony Gwynn. He's one of the best hitters in baseball. And what uh, Tony Gwynn did in the offseason is that he would every day do a thousand swings. He had a tire with a rope tied to a tree. And he would swing a thousand times because a swing is really complicated. You have to hold your hands right. You have to line up your knuckles. You have torque in your hips, extension of your arms. And he did this a million times because he wanted the memory of what a great swing is to be in his body. It's called wow. muscle memory. Yeah. And uh, because when a 99-mile-an-hour fastball is coming at you or a curve is coming at you, you don't have time to think. You have to rely on the muscle memory. And I, I think that's an apt metaphor for leadership. Uh, you're only a, a good leader to the extent that in the million, 1,000 swings of interacting with uh, the kids you serve and their parents and the teachers, from the way uh, you greet them and understand them as people and talk about a mission and bring them into problem solving and build the incredible relational trust that it takes to have a great community. And you only do that with a thousand swings. Uh, yeah. So I think when the worst happens, at the end of the day, you don't have backup plans. 
you have a community of people that believe in each other, that uh, trust their ability to problem solve and understand that they're uh, engineers, really, in trying to figure out the challenge that's facing uh, us as a community. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, uh, you don't really know, right? When, when rock bottom happens, it's improvisation. You're a jazz player. The, the regular themes don't work, so you have to riff on a theme. And your riff is, your riff is a community. You know, mm -hmm. your fellow musicians. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, we faced the worst. We had the three of our boys drown in a boating accident. We brought mm -hmm. our leadership kids up for a week-long retreat. And Jimmy, AJ, and Melvin uh, died in the Fox River, basically trying to save each other. And this was rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that happened during that is that this wonderful staff of faculty who love kids, our youth leaders, our parents, we trusted each other, and uh, everybody had an angle on trying to figure this out. It was the rock bottom. And our, our plan, I think, was uh, just to depend on each other. We knew where Q North was, which was to take care of our kids and their broken hearts and their parents and our community. Mm -hmm. But how we got there, you, you worked it out day by day. So um, I, I just think uh, plans are really important. I'm not saying that plans aren't important, but having a community in which there's relational trust, belief in each other, clarity about the mission, passion about the mission, and really true inclusivity, uh, that's leadership. Then you can handle whatever the hell life throws at you. <laughs> right. Yep, very good. We're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this. This is a great little introduction to a very important question. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I I think uh, we'd all like to get to know John Horan a little bit. Then. Yeah. How about you, Tommy? I think you're right. I, I, yeah. I would love to hear his story. Yeah. <laughs> so so we, we've asked every we have asked every one of our guests uh, to just provide us with you know, brief history, a little background on who you are, where you grew up, and what got you to where we are today. So, well, I'm uh, I'm what they call a SSICDWSF, a Southside South Irish Catholic Democrat White Sox fan. <laughs> so it's a very specific sort of tribe of people. So my dad was a bricklayer. Uh, my mom uh, handled us five kids. We grew up on the South Side. And uh, being the firstborn from the Irish family, uh, you had a vocation to be a priest. It was sort of in your DNA. So uh, part of my story is that uh, I, I, I always kind of wanted to be a priest from early on. I just, uh, those were the days where, uh, you know, a priest in a neighborhood, you were, uh, you had to know your people like an alderman. You had to be able to tell their stories like a poet. Uh, you had to be, uh, you kind of had to be everywhere with them. They were real yeah. heroes. Yeah. And those, in those days, way back in the 70s, uh, they were really the advocates for social justice. So I, I really fell in love with these, these uh, wonderful, powerful men. So part of my story is that I did study to be a priest. In fact, I was ordained. I was a priest for seven years. 
from uh, uh. 1981 to 1988. Uh, and those were terrific years. Uh, and the other little slimy ointment was that I fell in love. Uh, I fell in love with this, she's not in the room, so I can say, uh, this wonderful, uh, musical, passionate, uh, blonde artist and uh, therapist from Kansas. So we met in a church choir. You got to be really careful about them church choirs. <laughs> I before I was a priest, and then I went and was a priest, but I always missed Mary. I, I knew that uh, I, I just wasn't as, as full as I could be unless I was with her. So I left the priesthood in 88, and then we sort of spent two years, well, I spent two years figuring out. Mary knew what she wanted, and we got, it, we got married in 1990. Yeah. And that started my work really in social work. I uh, worked with a bunch of kids from under-resourced communities in Chicago, the I Have a Dream Foundation, did that mm -hmm. for 10 years. And part of the things we dreamed up, we dreamt up as a, as a foundation was, let's do a school. Because the schools that we sent our kids to, the high schools, were wrecked. They were really bad. Mm -hmm. So it was really back in um, 1996 that we started thinking about the school. Twenty-one years later, uh, we're still handling it in a very challenged part of Chicago with uh, terrific kids. I heard a guy say the other day, he said, uh, you know, when we talk about brown or black kids in the city, we call them under-resourced. He says, I think we should call them underestimated. So one of the things I've learned in working with kids is that adults underestimate them all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that spirit lives in the school and Anybody who's blessed to work with kids, they know that uh, they should know that we always underestimate kids. There's always more to them than meets the eye. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that point, on that point, uh, I love that. I, I think we underestimated how great these questions were going to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah exactly about leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't honestly. We didn't know where this was going to go, uh, and we thought. You know, we're going to do this ride for three weeks, four weeks, do these these uh, podcasts every night, and then that'll be the end of it. Mm -hmm. But when we got done, I, Tommy and I were saying, you know, we've kind of struck gold here. I mean, mm -hmm. we really like this. This is this is this is there's a lot more here, and keep yeah. the questions coming because yeah. I don't think we're going to run out of people to provide some insights and answers to the questions. Right. And I don't think we're going to run out of questions on leadership. So that is, <laughs> that is, yeah. such a, you know, I'm always it's, looking for a notable quote here and I think I've got one. So <laughs> thank yeah, you very much you for go. that, John. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, it's awesome how the, just how they're, you know, coming from these kids and how they word it, you know, the different questions, you know, sometimes we're, we're looking at maybe rephrasing them in a little, you know, to, to, to make them a little bit more clear to us. But at the same time, you know, these kids are asking them in their own way, you know, and it's so, I mean, they're all really good questions. And you just wonder, you know, we, we were talking to Jill a couple uh, guests ago and, um, you know, just to, she was, she was just asking about, uh, you know, getting some their feedback, right? I'd love to be able to, to mentor or go deeper with what was behind, where were, where were they, you know, what were they thinking 
when they ask that question, right. you know. And so then we she agreed to actually to actually take a phone call for the student too. So yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you you learn so much about kids when you sort of listen between the words. And I, I love the phrase at the end of her question: "What do you do when you hit rock bottom?" Mm -hmm. So this is a kid who understands. What is she? Sixteen, seventeen years old. She understands what rock bottom feels like. Yeah. And uh, in in some way, the question is. How do I handle rock bottom? Uh, what's the nature of hope when so much around uh, me doesn't look hopeful? But, you know, kids are really, you know, when you think about the subtext of the question that they ask, it's always fascinating. They never, they never cease to amaze me about how deep they really are. And, and I think the job of those of us blessed to work with kids is we have to facilitate that depth, right? We have to sort of be midwives and understand it's there and then create a safe space where it can emerge. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah good. So John, here's a, another question for you. And it's interesting as you were talking, I'm just, uh, I was the oldest of six in a, uh, <clears throat> in a Catholic Dutch family. So, uh, <laughs> and my dad, you know, was also a laborer and uh, huh? I was in the choir and I was also an altar boy, and uh, wow. I figured out real early on in life that I did not want to be a priest. <laughs> <laughs> it took but me but it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because in, in in our community, and I grew up in a small town, uh, so the parish had uh, four priests, and they were the heroes. They were mm -hmm. the heroes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, you know, That's you hear great. about a lot of bad things going on. But there are still a lot of good people out there in the yeah. priesthood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So a lot of people who aren't priests that are really priests, right? Yeah. What's that? Understanding, <laughs> right. understanding of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So Tommy, what's our next question for John? All right, John. So what are you working on now? Oh. So not everybody from North London goes to college. Um, no surprise there, right? There's only about 55% of American uh, seniors go on to college. So uh, I'm, I'm working with about 45, 50 kids who, for whatever reason, did not decide to go on to college. And we have to figure out what their plan B is, right? We have to not go. rock bottom, uh, but they got to have some multiple plans. So. Uh, this is a combination of a, a real challenge of trying to find them uh, livable wages. So uh, Target just announced today that they're going to be hiring 30,000 people across the country for the for the push for the holidays. Mm. But they they uh, they pay $12 an hour. Mm -hmm. So the challenge is how do we get our kids into jobs that pay a living wage and that can lead to a career? So it's it's really uh, difficult stuff because I think in lots of ways that the uh, economy is there's no middle. It's either you're making it or you're rock bottom. So trying to figure out what are the good junior colleges, what are maybe some trade programs, uh, how do we support kids in the you know they're 19, they're trying to figure out what uh, what real work is, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, what a career is. Yep. 
and boy, they got a lot of curveballs. I, I interacted with seven of the kids today, and I'm 0 for 7 today. Oh, no. <laughs> it was part of a youth development nightmare. But, mm-hmm. you know, you got to take the long view. You've just got to take the long view. So that's, that's what I've been working on. And I also get to help uh, visit our kids in college, which is always a blast. Oh, I bet. Because uh, you knew them when they were little knucklehead 14-year-olds, and now they're these interesting young adults sort of launched on their life. Yeah. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm just so blessed to have sort of both ends of the mm-hmm. spectrum of what it means to be young and underestimated in a community mm-hmm. where there's not not a lot of traditional resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do these kids... Well, do these Go kids ahead. get into, like, is there a lot of just thinking of the trades and everything and how that's kind of, you know, fallen off in the U.S. in terms of um, training? You know, there's there's not much Votech or apprenticeship anymore. Like, is that something that you're able to find for them, like some sort of apprenticeship yeah, type programs? Our dads were, you know, they were laborers. My dad was a bricklayer, and he put five kids through college. So, you know, what are the good apprentice programs? What are some of the challenges about some of the trades which are sort of white? And mm-hmm. uh, Latino and African-American kids moving in. So there's sort of racial questions there as well. So, uh, and everybody knows this is a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So. I have to learn more about this. I'm helping a, a kid right now get into a, become a welder. Mm. This is, you know, it's a union position, right? He can yeah. be making $60,000 a year with a pension and benefits. This is huge, huge for him and his family. But mm. boy, oh boy, there's lots of, lots of twists and turns in this. So yeah, uh, it's hard to find that, you know, and I, and I think one of the unintended effects of, you know, college for everyone is that the critique is, is if you do a trade, you're somehow a failure. You're the redheaded stepchild. Mm-hmm. Or if you think black and brown kids should go into the trades, maybe you're sort of racist because you don't believe they can really do college. And I just think that's too simplistic an understanding of, of the issue. Sure, mm-hmm. but, uh, sure. Well, this is... You have to get better at that. Yeah, yeah this is an interesting, an interesting uh, topic, especially given the fact that Tommy and I work with entrepreneurs and, and, and owners of privately held businesses, uh, you know, many of them uh, never went to college. I mean, I think the nature of being an entrepreneur is you're uh, anxious to get going in life. And uh, I was talking with my, my sister-in-law who did the bike ride with us said, you know, I've, I've noticed something that all of your guests who are entrepreneurs have in common. And, oh, yeah, what is that? She said uh, they were all poor students. They all admitted <laughs> to being poor students. Tommy's laughing, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but they were just, you know, there's this, this sense of urgency to get to, to start doing stuff. And, uh, you know, and Gino Wickman, who, you know, developed EOS, uh, was not a good fit for college either. Uh, but I guess what I would put out there is in the work that I'm doing with my clients, a lot of them are manufacturers. Uh, they recognize that they're, 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 you know, the uh, pool of workers are not coming from the kinds of sources that they used to come from in the past, which was high school shop programs or vocational schools or that type of thing. And they're willing to invest uh, dollars in training 
and providing kids with skills for kids who would be the right fit for the culture of their company. And so I think that the more enlightened business owners are starting to figure this out that, hey, we can't just rely on people coming in with batteries included. <laughs> we, right. We've right. got to provide them with some skills training and it's well worth our while to make that investment. Yep. So uh, maybe this is a conversation that we can continue to have at, uh, after the call, but. Oh yeah, there, there's. As a job, but he's never witnessed good work behavior. His dad's been locked up for 15, 20 years. Grandma's keeping everything together. And uh, the soft skills of showing up on time, doing the five day work week, doing everything the boss says, processing good feedback, being hungry for a future, but having to earn it. He has to learn all this stuff. Mm -hmm. He had more courage than I did when I was 19. I mean, that, that's a big leap. And to have businesses or entrepreneurs on the other side who are committed to reaching out for, uh, let's, let's call him Sean, same by Sean, but wants to do the right thing, especially in a city like Chicago, where we're so crushed by gun violence and how it uh, just robs the Latino and African American communities of uh, potential. So I, I think there's lots of people out there that want to do it. I think it's sort of a new time. At least in the city, I don't know if it's a new time in the country, but there's certainly that willingness on the part of business leaders to do the right thing. And it just takes some uh, right. You can't do this batting average anymore. Mm -hmm. You have to uh, figure some stuff out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it's it's interesting. So my my friend Riley, he owns a um, um, metal fabrication company out in. South Dakota, no, Wyoming, I think it's Wyoming. Um, anyway, that, he posted something recently on, on LinkedIn about starting a welding training program, right? I mean, I don't know the details of it, but something like that. They're, I mean, they're, they're so, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you know, for a reason, you're, you're creative and you're looking for ways to, to solve your, your labor issues, right? And, you know, I just feel like that that would be just a great way to connect a lot of the kids in your group, right, with these business owners that really are, they're actively creating these programs and solutions like that, you know, to solve their labor issues, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and provide great training. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So here, here's another question for you, John. Uh, you know, what's been the most valuable learning experience that you've had in your long and storied life? <laughs> it's a little wisdom from, from John. What have you learned from life? Hold on, John. I just have to stop you real quick. It's a little hard to hear. Maybe you can hold your phone up. Okay. Is that better? Hello? There you go. Okay, That's go ahead. Better. What they really mean is I wish, like, I hope it's not cancer. And so 
wish specifically around a specific outcome. And if they don't get the outcome so desired, then they don't have hope. No, no, no. Hope is the belief that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, there will be profound meaning and there'll be uh, mystery and wisdom. You know, you'll, you'll find resources that you didn't know you had. And, and I find hopeful people uh, understand that no matter what happens, at the end of the day, there'll be, a, there'll be sort of this profound uh, meaning. And I've learned that watching our kids. I've learned that with my, my friends. You know, my, my wife uh, just a couple of weeks ago got the diagnosis with breast cancer. And one of the things that happened was that she discovered how ridiculously loved she is by the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, so she's been a choir director for 12 years. And the biggest, the, the most dangerous thing we faced was not the cancer, it's obesity. Because everybody dropped off all of this food and letters <laughs> and flowers, you know, with, and, and that's hope, right? Yeah. You know, I would wish for a good medical outcome, but during this, I really discovered what hope is, that no matter what happens, you know, love and justice and wisdom will have its say. So that's the most important thing I've learned in I've learned it a million ways, and uh, it's the thing that keeps you going in this work. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. That's good. Hey, who's, had the biggest, who's had the biggest impact on your life? Awesome. Wow. 
Sounds like a really good inspiration, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great. The original John Michael Horan. I'm just a, I'm a poor 2.0 version. <laughs> the knockoff. <laughs> uh, yeah, funny. so I think you're you're probably only as tall as you think you are. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're as tall as you think you are. Yeah. So in spite of all that, pretty tall guy. Yeah. Wow. Well, That's cool. All right. Are we ready to go back to our question of the day? Yes. We, we want to go a little bit deeper with that one. You, you gave us a good head start on it, right? So we'll, I'll just re-ask it just to, to remind everybody. So uh, how do you make sure that you're properly prepared for the worst when there are multiple outcomes? And then how many backup plans should you have so that you're not stuck at rock bottom? Right. And who asked this? And this was Tam uh, Tamara Wallace. Tamara Wallace, okay. Of North Lawndale College Prep High School. Okay. I, you know, I, I still kind of like my first answer, but uh, upon reflection, uh, you know, there was a there was a time a couple of years back when uh, the question of uh, the teachers at the school unionizing. Was a was a real uh, was a real issue, and uh, these were terrific teachers, and they had very legitimate issues about uh, pay and about uh, you know uh, resources being distributed, and uh, it got very politicized because in, in charter schools most charters are not union shops, uh, and you know my dad is a union guy, uh, and so. And it was very hard to figure out what was the right way to go. Because some of our supporters felt, well, we don't want unions. Because hasn't union, have, have unions had a bad effect on education in the United States? One could argue, maybe, maybe not. Uh, so they had a very clear position. A lot of our teachers did. And there was a lot of uh, fighting back and forth about what to do. And uh, it's funny. Uh, it turned out that uh, they did not vote for the union, mm -hmm. uh, but the learning from that was so profound. I got a, a letter just the other day from one of the teachers uh, who's moved on to another uh, place, and he was with us for 11 years. And he said, you know, I really appreciated that uh, during the big struggle about whether we should be chartered or not, that we didn't um, we didn't demonize each other, that we continued to be respectful colleagues doing a very important work in a very complicated situation. So, I, you know, going back to rock bottom, whatever options you are, you know, you, you have to choose the option that continues to awaken you uh, to your potential as a community. You have to always keep in mind that, um, that you have to do the human thing, that you can't, you can't label people, and as difficult as that is, it's the only thing that's going to get you through rock bottom. The only thing. Again, mm. relational trust and confidence in each other. And it's hard. But I don't, there's no other way to skin the cat as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's good. Wow. You know, I, I think this is an interesting one, you know. It that, is. Uh, that I think when you, when you uh, hit rock bottom, uh, 
it's kind of hard to see how high is up, you know, and, and this kind of gets me maybe back to that, that comment about hope that, uh, you know, you only have to take it one day at a time. And I think you have to stay focused on the prize that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody said the other day, you know, it's not just the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the light in the tunnel. <laughs> right. I like that one. That's right. Right. There's a light in the tunnel, but there's a light in the tunnel, and uh, you know you you can't you can't climb out one big step. It's a lot of little steps, uh, and you know I think when when worst comes to worst, uh, you really do look to you know, the people that are part of your network. And it's amazing uh, how many people, if you ask for help, will actually help. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about this with Jill the other night as well. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when the worst happens and you reach out to people and it's a community of people who who care about you and you're willing to be, be a little bit humble and say, you know what, I really could use some help. Uh, right. 99.9% of the people mm-hmm. will say, well, sure, I'll help. Yeah, and I didn't even know you needed help. <laughs> right, you know, I didn't know it was that bad because <laughs> sometimes we're, you know, you're you're kind of that that rugged individual, you know, the invulnerable. You know, we don't need any help, and you know, the exact opposite is uh, is true. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing too, just for what it's worth, uh, you know, I don't think you have to figure out all the house. You just need to. Think about who are the people that could help me with the house, right? So this is an old Dan Sullivan, who not how, but yeah, there there's you go. a lot of wisdom <laughs> in that as well. There is. Okay. Yeah. People are happy to be asked to help. And if you are able to be humble and accept the help, your efficacy as a community deepens, right? It turns out that serving and doing good is good for everybody, right? So in, in some ways, if you freeze people out, you're diminishing the capacity So here's one thing, uh, John, I know that that you weren't able to make this year's ride and you were really upset about it. So uh, Tommy and I put our heads together on this and we said, we got to do this for John. (laughs) Really upset. (laughs) Going to give him one more shot at this. (laughs) That he missed missed out on the ride. So you'll be happy to know that uh, we are doing a third ride, this one around Lake Michigan. We uh, we got to work yeah. out a route now. We're going to do it in June of next year, kind of finalizing yeah. the dates. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll shorten it up a little for you too. It won't be it won't be like thirty days or anything like that, you know. But it will still be about sixty five miles a day. So you're, oh, you're in well, for, yeah. You're in for the for the for the standard day, <laughs> and uh, and then every day, you know, we what, what I loved about this last ride, it was the same thing the year before, was we would get to the end of the day and we'd be sitting around the fireplace. And uh, we we pose a question that didn't have a right answer or a wrong answer, but it, mm-hmm. it certainly generated a conversation. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> so that's part of uh, the day. And I understand it's a little bit fueled by Bernard. Am I right on that one? That helps. Yep. <laughs> fueled by what? Bourbon. Oh, bourbon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I wasn't going to broadcast that, but now that the you know that, that you let the cat out the bag, yeah, there is there is a little bit of that. There is a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> That's funny. All right. 
so June of 2020. So, yeah, you got it. 2020, right. So, Tommy, I always like to end by asking you a question, you know. All right, go for it. People, people want to help, so help help us help people yeah. help. Check, <laughs> what do they check. need to do? <laughs> <laughs> so, I've gone back and forth on answering this question, <clears throat> and now I will, on this on this live, the act, the donate button is in the post live, uh, so you can oh. you can <clears throat> you can donate to North Lawndale through uh, this Facebook post, and there'll be a donate to North Lawndale uh, right in the post, um, <clears throat> and then I'll post in the comments about the uh, uh, they're also doing an Everyday Hero uh, campaign, so we have a link to to Everyday Hero as well. But cool. both ways will get you uh, to, to North Lawndale. And they're always looking for volunteers and mentors. Um, so if anybody's interested in that as well, that, uh, you know, send, us, send me a message through Facebook or whatever, text, email, however yeah. you want to do it, and uh, we'll hook you up. Yeah. So. And I, I just got to <laughs> point out uh, – to just take this message and, you know, just say this to anybody listening to just post this to your network. Cause all we really need is a million people to give us a dollar. That's it. That's it. Yeah? That's yeah. all we need. A million people to give no us problem. a dollar. Yep. So we've we got a, a million opportunities for a million people <laughs> to help. <laughs> yep. It's just got to spread. All right. Very good. John, cool. thanks so much for your time. Yeah, absolutely. It was great talking with you. And yeah, there you go. Right. Next year in All Michigan, right. you got it. <laughs> All right. Good night. Good night. Good night.